So back to what I was saying. mental illnesses that are really impacting their their life, mm -hmm. right? Unresolved trauma. Coaching is a little bit different because while people may still have those things in the background, they're functioning at a level where they can really focus on these things. What's up, what's up, what's up, friends, family, and fans? Welcome to Life on Podcast. This is where we listen and inspire friends in entertainment. And everywhere. Yes, sir, because life happens to everyone. And we are lifing today yes, with our very special guest, Dr. Ina Whaley. Thank you. Hey, it lady. is Whaley, right? Hello. How you it doing? It is Whaley. Because yes. I'd be jacking names up one Dr. Ina. Dr. Ina. Okay. Right I'm on. phonetically gifted, but <laughs> sometimes I blip. <laughs> What's up, Dr. Ina? What's up? So, um, so Dr. Ina has a very uh, unique gift and calling and she works in a unique space and we're going to let you kind of share with listeners how you got started and all that kind of stuff but we're going to mix psychology and music mm -hmm. brain and frequencies and and that namaste and the about and he and fumbles it again there you go <laughs> so what's up doctor so when we say doctor we really mean doctor so it's not like some honorary mm -hmm. stuff or whatever yeah where we go where did we go to school what did we study yeah. and okay. how do we get to so it i'm from the east coast okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. i did a bachelor's uh double majored my undergrad at temple sociology and psychology nice then i went on to get a master's in psychology also, from temple too also at temple was it go eagles is that what it is up here uh, eagles, yeah. Those are the owls. Owls, owls is temple. Right? Eagles is there you go. the whatever. I'm not a sports person. Whatever's oh, yes. above college. That's pro. That's a pro. Oh, pro, you mean the Philadelphia? That's the Philadelphia. Yes, that's I, that part I got. Yes, Ooh. I could. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> we, need, we need to get you straight on that. <laughs> temple for undergrad and master's. Okay. Um, and then about halfway through my master's program, I was like, I think I want to go further. So. I actually wanted to get a PhD from Temple, but I got the advice you should not get three degrees from the same school. What was that? What was that? They just said you should kind of spread it out a little bit. Like anyone not from this area might look at that. So I went to Penn State, <laughs> just up the road. Okay. Good, school. Up the road. <laughs> Good school. You got your PhD, PhD from Penn State? I did. Jesus. Yeah. PhD psychology from Penn State. Um, and I, you know, became licensed, so you can get your degree, but then you have to become licensed. You mm -hmm. take an awful exam called the EPPP, so I passed that. Um, and then I also got board certified in 2018 in clinical psychology. Okay, so yeah. I, I can't be crazy around you and you not know is what I'm getting. Uh, well, I'm not a mind reader, but I do... If I'm around you enough, I might pick up on some passion. So you already know about this one here? And that I'm feeling highly under-accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> right now. <laughs> Two degrees from one, one from somewhere else. Man. <laughs> okay. No, but that is awesome. All right. So all right, so let's go through. All right. Yeah. So now you, you have your degree. Yeah. Now, did you go right into a practice? And what is it that you practice? So let's, let's, let's do a short little journey on your yeah. career path here. Got you. Um, so <laughs> I was something called a health profession scholar. So the military actually paid for my PhD. Nice. What branch were you in? Air Force. Okay. Oh, so she was super smart. <laughs> I was so, almost in the Air Force. Almost on. Yeah, care. I went through MEPS in Philly. Hey, Brandy. Mm. <laughs> I went through MEPS in Philly. Okay. As a matter of fact, and I scored in the 90th percentile. On the ASAP, mm. wow. Yep. But then, but I had an ulcer, a duodenal ulcer, and flat feet. 
and literally they couldn't let me I am literally that. starting to believe this story because the details actually haven't changed. Like you either have rehearsed it so good what? or it really happened. It really happened. I was in Civil Air Patrol for how, three years. How old were you with an ulcer? That's- 19. So I got wow. an ulcer. It hit when so I was trying to come down to Morehouse and then it turned out that I couldn't go. And they're thinking that that stressed me out so bad or whatever, but I don't know how that office can, can suddenly make me have an ulcer. I don't understand I that. Might have been prone to but, it. I was going to say right, but I had some stomach stress. issues going up as a kid. Yeah. Um, but I but it had the ulcer attack during that period, and um, so I did go to community college, and then I had a point nine seven GPA there. That I believe. And so mom, like, see that. Mom was like, either you get out or you join the military. <laughs> <laughs> So I went down to the Air Force, and like I said, I scored really well. And then, but then, because of the ulcer and flat feet, yeah, wow. couldn't go any further. Okay. Yep. Well, I think everything I t- things tend to happen. That's right. Mm-hmm. As they should. I wouldn't have met you guys. This is true. Would we even be here in this very moment? Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> not existential. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to say, how does that work? Let me see. All right. Here. So go okay, ahead. So, so, so Air Force. Um, so what was it? What was it called? Occupational one. Uh, I was a health profession scholar. Sorry, health profession yeah, scholar. Health profession health scholar. Profession. And so um, for years, I did about, let's see, seven, eight years, your typical clinical work. So seeing patients, mm-hmm. just, you know, all day patient care, depression, anxiety, relationship problems, PTSD, mm-hmm. uh, personality disorders, uh, run of the mill. So I really got a good foundation. And then about four years ago, I moved out of clinical work and I started specializing more in uh, like forensic consulting. Mm-hmm. So consulting on... Uh, personalities of like offender behavior, victim behavior, um, how to interview a child who's been victimized, like depending on their age, things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But about two years ago, I had sort of another shift and that's what sort of, I think, led me here. So for context, I'll I'll put out there that uh, I had a a very um, tragic event happen to me in 2012. So I became a mom very young. I had my daughter in high school. I was 17. Um, what was I didn't even know this. Yes, huh? high school. So I was pregnant my whole senior year, gave birth in April, and went to the prom in May. Okay. Okay. In 1998. Hey. <laughs> but wait, you're stopping at prom. I mean, ladies, we're talking about you had your... All right, so how old were you again? 17. 17 years old. Yeah. And went through all of this. And I mean, eventually, I understand what happened along the path. But yeah. still, you got your PhD, though. Like... That's Seriously. A, that's another podcast because that road of getting back to school, I mean, we were homeless. There were a lot of things that happened yeah. before I was able to set myself on the path to lead me. So I won't interject. I'll let you go ahead and, yeah, and continue no, on. Interject yeah, interject away. It's conversational. Um, so, you know, I went to school, single mom for years and years. When I was in my PhD program, about halfway through when my daughter was 14, she, I lost her. She passed away. She was... Um, at her bus stop, she got hit by a car that was going way too fast uh, early in the morning. So obviously, life-altering. Um, it, it, not even any word to describe it. So yeah, if we think about like the stories of our lives, like there's these points that, whether they're good or bad, that are very pivotal. So having her was a pivotal point, and and losing her, you know. Yeah. For sure. Sometimes I don't know what to because sometimes (laughs) when we have these conversations, we know some of these details going into it. This is the first time I'm hearing this. 
Sorry, no, no, no. It's it's oh, it's, it's okay. It's not yeah. an ambush at all. It's it, it changes completely how I was approaching what we were here to even talk about because yeah. I thought we were coming from a fully medical. How do you restore yourself? How do you oh, how do you get to a point of enlightenment? How do you yeah. discover things about yourself? But at the same time, I'm discovering that maybe even this path of getting to that had to have been necessary for. I, I don't even know the term to use. Your healing process, which yeah. seems to be in not a heavy enough phrase to even use for, for is, what we just healing, talked about. Healing present, right? Like not yeah. healed, not it. It will be a lifelong journey of healing. So, but it's had I sent these bullet points over last night, <laughs> you would have might have might. But I mean, it it, it opens a, a completely different door though, because now I want to ask what trajectory was your life on prior to, prior to that, something yeah. so tragic mm -hmm. and then there's uh, there's undoubtedly this time that's just a gap of i'm assuming feeling lost and, and empty course. and and yeah. sad mm -hmm. and hurt and angry it's been almost 11 years and there's and it's still there oh absolutely it will it will forever be there yeah. i i want i want to know that I, I i i'm interested to know the woman you were becoming yeah. after having a daughter so young and then into the point to where you, you are now when that other pivotal point is, is in the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, so, gosh. That on my... I, yeah, no. I, I might be off, I might be off book now, but I, in my defense... It's always off book. <laughs> so I think that leading up to... I had her very young, so my whole identity was in being a, a mom. Being mm. a single mom, it, it was difficult, mm. right? So... Section 8, uh, food pantries, mm -hmm. uh, whatever I had to do. And I always had this kind of, like, guilt. Like, gosh, like she didn't ask to be born, like, to a couple of kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I, I have to do something better for her. So that was kind of always my, she was always, like, my guiding light, like, mm -hmm. my North Star. Like, whatever I have to do, like, I might not eat, she's going to eat. Whatever mm -hmm. I got to sure. do, you know, work. So at the time I lost her, I was pretty much at the end of my PhD program, getting ready to um, go on internship, which I was going to do with the military as part of like my payback. And I was actually, she passed in October. So when I, when I get to the, the music part, this will all make sense of kind of where I got. But so in that same week uh, that my daughter died, my grandmother also died within probably two to three days of each other. What? And wow. anybody who knows me, and I'm, it, it's, I can't make this-ish up. She died the day before my birthday. My birthday's October 18th, she died October 17th. My grandmother died a few days later. So within a week, you know, life turned upside down and my grandmother is probably the closest person to me. It's my mother's <sighs> mother. And, you know, so to, she would have been the person that I, I would have leaned yeah. on the most for support. And, you know, they, they went together. I have my own thoughts now that I'm a little further along in the journey of, of why mm. they, they went together. But at the time, it kind of threw me off track. But I did what a lot of people do. I was in shock for a long time. And um, it got really, 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 really dark. Sure. Really dark. And there was no middle for me. It was, I'm either going to be in this pit and probably never come out or I'm going to shove this all away and put on a smile and compartmentalize and and deal with this 
when I can. That's and a I difficult ultimatum to latter. give yourself, though. Was I, there ever the option to check out? Did I ever want to kill myself? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that I had never been... Um, suicidal in like the traditional sense I, right. I study this stuff like right. how people get right. to that point like they feel like a burden they feel hopeless there are more you know risk factors than protective factors and, and all those things but for me it was very concrete and very logical it was my child has gone somewhere mm-hmm. and that is where I need to go mm. um, but it there wasn't like a deep depression with it it was just a very and I ended up I have a religious background I was raised in like your typical black church, if there mm-hmm. is such a thing, you know, kind of fire, brimstone, heaven, hell, mm-hmm. and I was and still am terrified of hellfire. Like, they put that mm-hmm. in me right, right. at a very early age, so it became not an option pretty quickly for me, because I came to the conclusion, I'm like, I will be so salty if I do this, <laughs> trying <laughs> to follow her, <laughs> right? and, and then I end not. up in a different place. <laughs> right, right. Like, so I'll just wait. So right, right. I spent probably about 10 years just kind of getting by. Mm. Not really healing. You know, I went to therapy. I took medication. I would go on grief retreats. And I found a way to live with it. But there wasn't a true healing. I, I read a quote. I, I would describe it as, like, so the grief, you know, the losing her left like a hole, a big hole. And I spend my days kind of tiptoeing around it and my nights falling in it yeah. as mm. soon as I could be alone, you mm. know, um, which is not really a great way to live. Did that for years and years had, you know, two more children. It was really important to me to have more children, which are a, um, I think children shouldn't be born with a job, but I say my kids were born to kind of like give me new purpose. Um, so about two years ago, I had sort of stopped celebrating my birthday mm-hmm. after she passed because mm-hmm. it was so weird to get another year older so close to when I lost her. But I started, uh, okay, so this is where the science kind of comes in a little bit. I started realizing, like, I spent 14 years with her, Deja, Deja's my daughter, I spent 14 years with Deja, but my brain kept sort of, like, recycling these same, like, 15 or 20 memories. <laughs> and I'm like, where's the rest? Like, where are all the other memories that I have of her? And the memories my brain was choosing to focus on weren't the greatest ones. <laughs> it was like that day she came home in sixth grade, and tried to ask me something, and I'd had a long day, and so I was rude. You know, it, it right. wasn't the good stuff. So then I stopped, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. I know how memory works, right? So how do you, when you think of memory, how do you think it works for, like, to to retrieve a memory? Huh? What is that? The synaptic path refires off of some trigger, uh, whether it's a touch, sound, sense. Uh, it's vague. It's been a while. It's been no, a minute. But, you're, so but I'm on the right track. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, me, it's just recall of experiences. It's yeah. Me. And the more impactful the experience, the easier the recall yeah. for me. There's recall <laughs> and memories. When you remember something, you're, so people sometimes think of memory like, I'm going to like play this video mm-hmm. or I'm going to go pull out this file and do that. Mm-hmm. It's not that. It's mm-hmm. built on associations. So, right, right, right. So think like branches of a tree or like a spider web. So like one thing triggers another, tr- triggers another. And would any, you say those are feeling and emotional associations or? Yep. More, okay. Yep. Because so we've got uh, the amygdala in our brain, which sort of that role is to connect emotions to our memories. Um, so when you remember something, you're actually recreating it. You're recreating it in your mind. So I said to myself, like, all I have to do, I need to just trigger myself. Yeah. I need to. So I got out her iPod. <laughs> 
dusted it off, and I started listening to her music. So 14 in 2012, I think it was on her iPod, Mindless Behavior, Justin Bieber, a bunch of Korean bands, you know. K-pop was big. Never heard of. All kinds of stuff, and I would just sit and close my eyes and listen to it, and the memories just came, like, flooding back. Mm. Almost like, because once something makes its way into your long-term memory, you may not consciously remember it, but it can be retrieved if it gets to long-term. Not everything gets to long-term. Some things sort of fizzle out in short-term. There's like Mm -hmm. an encoding that has to happen through like rehearsal and repetition. Um, Like me in a lot of people's lives. (laughs) I'm strictly short-term. Short-term memory. (laughs) I do not believe that. I don't. So I started listening to her music. I started, music was always very big for me growing up, big for us. Like we would sing in the car all the time. We would drive back and forth from Philly to Penn State and listen to like the Dream Girl soundtrack or, you know, Anita Baker, the, the Winans. Like she might pick, I might pick. So I got, I started singing songs that reminded me of her. And I'm like, I feel better. Like I'm remembering more and I'm starting to feel better. I'm like, huh, that's great for me, you know? I uh, started, made a little karaoke setup in my basement, started like singing karaoke. Uh-huh. And I'm like, when I sing, like I get a rush. And I'm not a singer, right. you know. So fast forward again, I start making a documentary at the, around the 10 year mark. I start, I really want to know how everybody's doing. Because my family kind of splintered. Not that we stopped talking to each other, but I think there's like this myth out there that people grieve together. Like we all lost one person, so we're gonna sit around and kumbaya and tell stories. It doesn't always happen that way. People go into their own little path. So I started a documentary about just kind of search for meaning, talking to her her soccer teammates from high school. It's been 10 years, like how are you doing? Your best friend died when you were 14. How's that been for you? Um, Mm. So on that path, so I'm filming a documentary, but my life is lifing. So January, uh, there's an artist named Mumu Fresh, who I'm a huge uh, fan of. She's a singer, songwriter, sound healer. Um, she's amazing, rapper as well. She was uh, she had a songwriting class. Just scrolling through, and this is like how one choice can completely like yep. change. Yep, yep. your whole trajectory. Think they have to have a whole plan and map it out and this and that. I saw an Instagram ad. Like a therapeutic songwriting class, I'm gonna do that. So I take the class and I write a song about my daughter, and uh, that opened up the floodgates for me. I don't know if it was writing the song or singing the song that did it, but that's when it clicked. To me, that's when my healing started. Hmm. Ten, years, uh, ten, ten years, years after. I started the process. I found the thing. So I wrote that song, and then that opened the floodgates. I just started writing more songs. That's how I met you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm here. Um, and I'm transitioning transitioning now kind of away from clinical work, forensic work, into like more coaching and things like that. So my, I would say my, uh, what do they call it when you foot stomp something or pet it? My soapbox, I guess, oh, okay. is... Uh, <laughs> We could not. We would not be good charades like partners. I was just giving you. The, I'm amazing. The, really? Yeah, I'm amazing. Okay. But we'll see. <laughs> but my soapbox is kind of the really helping people. I can do all the traditional stuff if people want a traditional coach. Mm-hmm. But I also can coach people through like creative processes and really encouraging people to tap into creativity. Consider singing, even if you're not. Even if you can. Even if you right. think you can't. Um, I think not enough people sing. 
there's so many benefits. There's so many positive things that happen when you make a noise, when you sound. What are those things? What like are what, those what, things? what what are those basic things that happen that we're talking about that can set you on the path of figuring out this next of singing mm-hmm. in general. Okay, so benefits of singing. So there's tons of research studies out there and I'm I won't quote everyone, but in general the research has shown um, people who sing regularly mm-hmm. is associated with a uh, better immune system, overall uh, more positive well-being, reduced stress levels. It can help with depression, anxiety. There's been studies that show it can help reduce snoring. Like there, there's so many things when we see like, and that might have something to do with the breath control, but mm. we see a link and we know statistically that it's by more than chance that these two things are connected. Okay. We may not know the mechanism of why. Mm-hmm. When we sing, all kinds of stuff happens in our brain. So chemicals get released. So you've got your endorphins, right? Endorphins are these hormones that get released during stress or pleasurable activities that kind of promote a good feeling. Mm -hmm. Endorphins get released when you sing. We've got serotonin, which is a mood stabilizer. If you look at most medications for depression or anxiety, they're SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Your brain will produce more of that naturally when you sing. Now, Dr. Ina is not saying to not take your medication. <laughs> I'm not saying that. <laughs> right. Do your therapy, take medication, follow your doctor's orders. But Just sing when consider, you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> sing while it. you're doing it. Yeah. Dopamine, which is like, it gives you this sort of, uh, it's like a reward, the mm-hmm. reward center of the brain. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what's responsible for like a runner's high. So the endorphins might ease your pain a little bit so you can keep running, but the dopamine gives you that high, so you want to do it again. Mm-hmm. You want to repeat the activity. Oxytocin. Right? Yep. The trust hormone, the bonding hormone, uh, it's what gets released when a mother breastfeeds a baby. That gets released <laughs> when you sing. I don't think I knew right? that. The bonding. It's yeah, part of the reason why we can't understand. It's literally where it comes from, the scientific thing. You. Because that bonding phase that happens in that first yeah. day, we can't, we, we'll, can't we'll, explain that one. No, and it's also we'll never one of the it. reasons why when women stop breastfeeding, they it sometimes go through depression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of shame around not breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's another topic, but you go uh. through, I went through it. I'm like, why am I so sad? You know, hmm. I freed up like 15 hours a week by not mm-hmm. <laughs> breastfeeding and pumping anymore. But so, and then when you sing with other people, like in a choir, the mm-hmm. oxytocin like doubles, mm-hmm. the trust, the bonding. So there's all kinds of benefits. So I'm hearing two things. Yes. One, I need to not get so upset when people come in my rehearsal room and they sound like chickens. <laughs> you should not. I should just go and be like, you know what? You are overcoming something. You're healing. Yes. And I'm here to support that. Matter of mm-hmm. fact, here's an hour for free. Continue uh, your healing. The last for free part, you don't have to go edit. I'm here to support. I'm here to support. <laughs> and the other thing, the other thing I'm hearing too, important people know is just because, because one, you don't have to be able to sing, right, to get these it benefits. Has nothing to do with talent. These benefits are so-called talent, right? Because who decides what talent is? It has nothing to do with ability. And if you do have what might be understood as talent, mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a recording artist, right? So my point is, there's so many other avenues and benefits and purposes for singing, yeah. And it all doesn't mean making an album all the time. No, and I think if you if people know that and on purpose start exploring those things, it can kind of release a little bit of pressure for that all kind of stuff. All kinds of creativity, yeah. not just singing, you know, painting. And speak, people who sing for a living sometimes don't experience the same benefits that non-professional singers sing because nope. it's a job. It's, it's a, a job It's a business. Now. Yeah. There's yep. stress. It's not when they were just yep. singing in the church choir for, you know, because it felt good or just to praise God. Yep. Um, yeah, so creativity in general, that's one thing I talk with my clients a lot about. I think a lot of us 
people who don't have a creative job or don't have something creative as part of their everyday life, maybe you just work a nine to five or whatever mm -hmm. you're doing, you don't have the time. We think back, you know, not to be a cliche psychologist, your inner child, right? Mm -hmm. inner child. Hey, Go hey, childhood trauma things are real. They're very They're real. so real. It's very not even real. funny. But there are a lot of things in childhood that are just kind of like ripe to be nurtured and 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 explored that it doesn't always happen. Yeah. You could be the next piano prodigy, but if your family can't afford a piano, right. you may never know. That's if true. your parents don't kind of push you any type of direction. So, you know, I, we do a lot of talk about like values and what your life looks like now and maybe some things that you left unexplored. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. you always wanted to play the flute, go get a flute. Yeah, everything <laughs> like, does, and that's the thing, like every creativity doesn't have to be a, a vocation. No. And that's what we, and a lot of times even with the kids, you're like, oh, he does this well, he's gonna grow up to be this. Right. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not. It's just an outlet, it's just a way for him to, I mean, I'm a super creative guy and I have tons of areas that I'm creative in, but yeah. I'm not trying to make a freaking career out of every single one of them. I mean, we, we, we kind of, as a society in general, over in this part of the world, we, we demonize that a bit. I don't know if it happens to you, it happens to me. Mm -hmm. I, I had a bunch of talents when I was a kid and mm -hmm. my aunt still asked me, why aren't you still drawing? Or yeah, why yeah. didn't you become I'm an architect, and I was like, yeah. right. I didn't draw. I did it because it was fun. Cause it was I was fun. really. I mean, and like now, the cool thing I like is like some of my favorite artists. Like I didn't know Neo could draw. I had no idea. Mm. And he was just on Instagram one time, and he drew a bear, and like he named it. And I was like, this dude like can actually Drew's draw. Wrong. Like right. he yeah. like for real. But that that was just something he did as an as an outlet. And we're finding out everything. Like Chris Brown does everything as a talent. Like he's just like everything. Name a skill, and he's good at it. Like when he found out I was a massage therapist on the side. I I, I, just, I recently <laughs> just found that out too. Yeah, you, you sprinkled into the conversation. And yeah. I was like pause. And, but and it was when, <laughs> when he first said it because I know Stone Stone jokes a lot. So I was like ha ah, ah, hilarious. And I was about to throw a bunch of jokes out. But then when I found out that it was something he was taking serious, and that there there is a niche of people that appreciate that it must be and pay a, me for it that too it um <laughs> those, those outlets don't always have I to be that but therapist on retainer okay yeah i need to get this, i'm trying to, i'm trying here. to get that lifestyle i'm trying yeah. to get my makeup artist to come to my room i'm trying to get my massage <laughs> right. therapist on retainer I'm trying to give me a driver nah. <laughs> now <laughs> so Ina, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the, the the sound sound wizardry and sound magic is what i like to, to mm. call it now because it's it's a real thing but people are just not getting to the actual yeah. science of it um, you're hearing about sound baths becoming more and more, oh, which yeah. I do about two or three times a year. Um, people are starting to use just specific, like the solfeggio frequencies, that they'll right. use targeted frequencies for specific healing purposes. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, mean, I read somewhere 528 hertz mm -hmm. is like it's the, God the frequency. optimal frequency. It's the frequency of like chlorophyll, like what makes mm -hmm. plants green. It, mm -hmm. Someone played it outside in their garden and it and it blooms everything. I believe ohm resonates at the God tone mm -hmm. or something like that. Yep. God frequency and yep. 440 is supposed to be the no. So 440 is, so this is one of the things that comes up a lot. I played with the Jacksonville Symphony Youth Orchestra for a long time, and we tuned, most orchestras in the world on this one tuned to 440, but you start getting orchestras on the other side of the world that tuned to 432. And I just told that to the freaking interns and engineers the other day, and they stood there to correct me. And I was like, no, but 432 actually is in tune with your body and the earth. But they were getting confused with what, Musicians and right. stuff port to 440. Yeah, and I mean it is. Them. And as, as a musician, I mean I've been I've been playing classical music for almost 30 years now. 
you feel that release of tension when you drop the tuning that that a tune from 440 to 432 yep. it, it you yep. actually feel that release and it does feel more relaxed and there's a whole slew of information of why it switched yeah. to that and yeah. i'm not gonna go into all of it now but it's definitely if you've got an afternoon to go down that rabbit trail of why it was done it, it's it's some very interesting reads for only not only chemically but like psychologically mm-hmm. what it does to you now yeah. on that side of the science do you incorporate that at all mm-hmm. like it's actually where i was going with that okay so i no i mm. am not like i take that i would never just be like hey i can <laughs> pick up a bowl and give you a sound bath like mm-hmm. that is a a completely separate mm-hmm. science field art ancient mm-hmm. of itself so i do have um a really good friend who does it but at, by appreciate it i understand the basics of the science of mm-hmm. it but i definitely know like my lane i would have to like go get i think certified right, right. and to be able i don't want to accidentally give somebody the wrong frequency and <laughs> right it triggers some kind of <laughs> yeah. thing so, so I'm like, ah! <laughs> no. you know i apologize if there's anyone that deals with something like let me talk to your editor, please. It's just, an HR department. <laughs> your HR department. I'm the editor. I'm all of it. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll, it'll be fixed. Don't worry. So in, in taking that into account and, and talking about all of those things and the effects that it has on the brain and the effects that it has psychologically, in your practice, like, how do you determine or how do you help someone determine what they actually need? Or is it just, hey, I want you to sing something now and no, just see how it makes you absolutely feel? Not. Like, where do you start? Definitely like, what's not the- a one-size-fits-all. So with any um, client that I have, we're going to start with the, the first several sessions. I'm, I have to get to know you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make any assumptions. And even when people come to therapy and they know that they're there or come to coaching, they know that they're there, they're not it's going to take a few sessions to, right. for the representative to kind of fade mm. away to for people to get comfortable. I like that, the representative. I, yeah. We sure as heck do walk around with we that, do. don't we? We do. And so I let them know these first few sessions, like I'll be, you'll be talking more than me, right? I'm, I, I am an expert in some areas. I'm not an expert in you. So we do things like assess definitely childhood, get a full, mm-hmm. everyone has a story mm-hmm. yeah. that they tell themselves about their life. Let me hear what's your story. What is your narrative? What mm-hmm. are the major points? Then we can do an assessment of looking at, um, I love to do assessments looking at uh, values as opposed to like how you spend your time. Okay. So we're gonna go through and assess, these are all the things you value. Mm-hmm. How much time did you spend in each of these areas okay. in the last week? If you really, really value family and you don't really value you know, your job that much, but your job is where you spend all your time to feed your family, right? So we yeah. get in there and see where those inconsistencies yeah, are and then try to figure out where can we, and it, every client doesn't necessarily have to do something creative. Mm-hmm. I, I encourage it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, some people have the idea in their mind that they're not creative. You know, I'm not a creative person. Says who? Right. But tell me tell me when you first had that thought, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Would you, in, in your practice, I mean, you, you see so many people. Would you say that you can probably organize the majority of people into a certain number of separate categories for childhood traumas affecting them as adults oh and then gosh. i think we're all recovering from our childhoods in some way or another okay um so i when i was in the more clinical like i'm transitioning out of clinical into coaching right. and there's the differences you know clinical work working with people who kind of have like mental illnesses that are really impacting their their life mm-hmm. right whether it's depression anxiety ptsd unresolved trauma coaching is a little bit different because while people may still have those things in the background they're functioning at a slightly 
I don't want to say better, they're functioning at a level where they can really focus on these things. Nobody wants to sit and talk about, hey, why don't you try to be creative when you have like uncontrolled bipolar? You've, right. You have to, it's a privilege mm-hmm. to be in a healthy enough space to even consider some of these other things. So as far as categorizing like a percentage of people with childhood trauma, it's interesting because I've had people sit on my couch and describe something in childhood that like I personally might not find traumatic, but it's a memory for them. Right. And it's they've, they've incorporated that, and that's traumatic for them. I look at my boys sometimes, and I try to be like the best gentle parent this, that, and I'm like, they're probably going to end up on somebody's couch <laughs> 20 uh, years from now uh, about that one time, you know, I made the oatmeal too hot, and it burned their mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But then you also have people who have, you know, I don't want to say anything's more or less serious. What happens to us in childhood does shape us. You talk to different psychologists, they may have different theories. Some psychologists might say, hey, just control your thoughts now. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. I'm more of the, you know, object relational type camp. What do you mean? So meaning that the relationships that we form early in our life can kind of dictate what happens later in life. Not that you can't change it, especially the relationship with your primary caregivers. Um, What happens when you try to get your needs met? Yeah, what sure. happens when you, you know, are, are not of service to someone? Those things kind of, it's um, like a critical period, mm-hmm. um, early life. Like if you go to, it's the saddest thing, one of the saddest things I ever read about like an orphanage in like some place, I forget where, maybe like Ukraine or some place. And the babies, it's silent. The babies don't even cry because they know Nobody's coming. Like, they've learned because there's so many babies and so few staff, right? But if your baby just came home from the hospital, what do they learn? Hey, when I cry, somebody's coming in here. Mm -hmm. I'm getting a pacifier. I'm getting my diaper changed. I'm getting a boob. I'm getting, you know, whatever it might be. Um, So we learn really, really early on. (laughs) We're in relationship with other people early on. Mm -hmm. And so I would say that most people, some people might say, like, oh, I don't have to talk about my childhood. We're going to talk about it. Even yeah, if it was peachy yeah. keen, great. We're going to talk about it. Help me get to know you. I want to ask this question with that. You brought the baby thing up, which mm-hmm. is a conversation I was just having with my little brother because he, he has a one-year-old and he was asking me kind of what we did with my son. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I learned was was pattern recognition and, and performance change. Mm-hmm. It usually takes about three times of a cycle for an infant or toddler to learn something. So if they cry and you show up three times, they've now adapted that as being that's the response they're going to get. And then to break that, it's going to take the same amount of cycles in order to undo that. Do you see the same type of association with adults that there is a there's a number? Because that that, that number seems to be a magic number in children from three months to about two and a half years old. Or is it is it really wide ranging? Like, are are we so different that you know it's going to take Stone a thousand times because his head is just so hard to learn something, whereas it may take a normal person like me five times to actually grasp it and and make changes? Because there's not much in there really to have to impact. So yeah. So what we know the new so the thing about kids, you're absolutely right. There are if you think about like reinforcement schedules mm-hmm. and like classical conditioning mm-hmm. and you know one of the worst things you can do with a kid is be intermittent. Right. right to sometimes oh give in to the tantrum because right. Father <laughs> help your children help them Lord Man. it's hey. like it's the same science behind why people will sit at a slot machine absolutely yeah. it yes. might the kids I'm gonna keep on trying because mm-hmm. that one time yeah. it, it hit mm-hmm. so what with adults what we know about the brain is that it can be rewired 
Yes. There's so many new studies out about like neuroplasticity and the, the pathways in the brain being reformed. I, it will vary from person to person. So if you have a pathway in your brain that sort of, let's say every time you feel scared, you have an automatic thought, you know, that something awful is going to happen, you're anxious, and you react by, you know, panicking, things mm-hmm. like that. That didn't happen overnight. It took years for that path mm-hmm. to form. But if you think about, when I was a kid, there used to be this house that we would always cut through to get to the store. It was an abandoned house. Mm-hmm. And there was no path there. But we just kept walking there, walking there. And after about a year, there was a new path, right. right? You can make a new path. And what happened to the old path? You stop going down the old path, and it, it gets overgrown. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, with my personality, this is why I could not be a psychologist. <clears throat> I'm a little too too mean with it. I don't like, believe that. Nah. Because all you have to tell me is what you just said was possible. Yeah. That's all I need to know. But I get surrounded by people who are like, I'm trying to walk on this new path. Oh, look at me. I'm walking on this new path. I'm doing good because I'm walking on this new path. I'm, I know I'm walking on this. It's hard, but I'm trying to walk on this. Like that. I, 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 ooh. And that's my soapbox. My soapbox is you are what you think you can. I understand what happened in the past. Yeah. But what happens from today forward, you are 100 in control of. And I feel that a lot of people use the crutch of the past a lot as an excuse as to why changing going forward is so difficult. And we seems like we went back and forth on we this. I'm about, because, to, I'm about to. Because. <laughs> and this is what happens to me, too. I always mm-hmm. say this disclaimer. My friend Nikki says, stop saying disclaimers because no one listens to them. And this is why I said I couldn't be a psychologist. Because I'm a little bit too black and white and stark with it. Because with me, I'm just like, I can change. Great. That's all I need to know. Mm-hmm. Let me go ahead and do what I need to do to change. I don't need you don't need to pat me on my back for every tiny little step I make, you know, because the change hasn't been made yet. Just let me do what I need to do. Let yeah. me change. You know what I mean? And I, I feel that that it, it, it's it's not I know it's not black and white, but I feel <laughs> like it's it's just like problem, solution. You're very passionate about this topic. This is no, because but I see I no. see I'm a, he, I can tell you, I'm an evangelist of human potential. Yes, even even his own until, and this is the part where I get upset with him because he holds people to that standard. You are perfect, and you're in a perfect place. You're sitting in the perfect spot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've had some conversations recently where Stone has admitted that 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 ideation aspect of it, that getting to the concept of knowing that that potential is there, and then the doing part is where he struggles. He omits the consistency. Part. The, it, Remember, yes. the doing is fine. It's the consistency. But part. That, but that's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing that people who say exactly what you were just saying are struggling with. Right. But then you have very little empathy for how they express that. All right. So, that, so I was going to say I wasn't hearing a lot of empathy, but I think I what you're mean. saying is well, I don't think it's mean. Yeah. What you're saying it's very personality based. Like yes, yeah. change is possible, but. It's not going to look the same for you, sure. for me. And there's something to be said for, I can say like, okay, I can change. Let me just jump right to it. Mm-hmm. But the process. Absolutely. Walking the road and having setbacks and, you know. I have absolutely trained him to start saying stone feels or oh, stone yeah. believes <laughs> yeah. because oh, he he, he had a very, well, no, just it was, it was almost French. like a disclaimer okay. because he had a real uh 
prevalent habit of applying how he saw and felt things blanketly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and, and I don't and yeah and I, it's something that I have to grow out of and so my empathy does lack yeah. in areas like that and I would be the first that's why well, I call it mean mm-hmm. but it's lack of empathy you know what I mean it this is be, growth it, him it just admitting it it could be perceived as mean huh? it could be perceived as mean and it does depending on who <laughs> all the time talking with <laughs> all but we time. all are coming to the table with completely different backgrounds completely mm-hmm. different brain wiring like if mm-hmm. we're all sitting here right now and all of a sudden like a cat just came in. Mm-hmm. And let's say I was mauled by a cat before, like I you might be like under the table, but right. you, like it's just a cat, like right. it's not gonna hurt you. Relax. So in your, in your coaching, I was business. not mauled by a cat. I love cats. That was just a weird example. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I didn't want to dig that trauma yeah. up if it was a real thing. <laughs> I, was, I have no alone. idea why my brain chose that. Example. In in your practice, um, how do you weave singing? into after you've had these sessions of mm-hmm. talking and discovering and peeling back the layers of that onion and we figure oh this is a thing mm-hmm. it, are there sessions where it's all right we're gonna sing a song or do you incorporate songwriting or drumming it or something into more, it too? so if someone has a desire to try to work something out through song or let's say they're already an artist or you know they do sing or maybe they don't um it would be the songwriting because so for me the like the song i wrote I listen to it, I sing it, but it's the fact that I wrote it. It came from my heart. It's called the class was actually called Heart Song. Um, so I think it's important. The songwriting piece is key, to, in my opinion, for the healing. I could write some lyrics and be like, "Sing this." You can sing it, and I've connected to songs written by other songwriters. Sure. But there's something about writing something for yourself. Um, So that can happen. I actually did, they are not my clients, but I did some um, work with one of my nieces. You know, her her father passed and, you know, she always would make up songs. And so I, we haven't written a song yet. We've talked about it, but I shared with her um, a memory that she probably didn't know about her father, right? She's nine, that he and I were both big Vanessa Carlton fans. And, and so he, and he was like, like in, a, in a motorcycle club, mm-hmm. Philly, you know, like you wouldn't necessarily. Yeah. Terry Crews kind of guy. We both loved the song, you know, Ordinary Day. Just, oh, yeah. just then. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I don't know if you know this. And I told her the story of how her dad loved the song. And I said, just listen to it, you know? And it made a difference. You know, now I know her personally. I, obviously, I can't do that with a coaching client, sure. but there's a lot of ways we can bring music in. I'm looking to expand more into being out where the people are. If, if working with artists, if you are, you know, busy, you're making an album, you're writing songs, and you don't have time to Google, like, psychologist, like, I will come to you. I'll come to where you are, and we can work through whatever might be blocking your creative process. Um, uh, the world is, I feel like I'm entering like my second act, <laughs> I would call yeah, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing I try to encourage people. You can change. You can, just because you've done something one way for so long, like, oh, gosh, you got a PhD in psychology and you've done these great things, but I want to do something different. Yeah, I want to sure. do something, and it's healing me. I'll say one quick story that the first time I came here mm-hmm. and I had one of, I wrote. Oh, where, where, wrote, where's here? Yeah. Icon Studios. Oh, in Atlanta? The beautiful <laughs> traffic laden <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia. ATL Shawty. Yes. I, uh, it was the first time that uh, a song I'd written, my vocal coach, uh, Dallas, he recorded the demo for me. So it was my very first time. My, the first song I wrote, I sang. Mm-hmm. First time I'm hearing like a song I wrote being sung by someone who can actually like sing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And adding. 
and I sent my sister a video because she'd heard my reference track. And I'm like, hey, Dallas, is look, we're recording the song. Her feedback to me had nothing to do with the song. She wrote me back and she said, I've never seen you look so happy. Mm. I've never seen you look so happy. Like, that's what you need to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and it hit me. I'm like, you know how they say find the thing that you would do even if nobody paid you a penny? I mm, found sure. it. Sure. Yeah. And, and I found the path to get here, you know, was a long one and it's ongoing, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. even I didn't mention it, singing and healing uh, have been shown to help with grief as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I had not previously been open to working with other people who were grieving because I knew I was still stuck yeah. and people would always come to me. You know, oh, your your daughter died. You're a psychologist. I know this person's who child just died. You're the perfect person to talk to them. And I'd be like, no, I'm not. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a shambles. <laughs> like, I don't want them to talk to me right now. You know? And that reminded me. And this is actually the last question I have for you too. Yeah. When you said, you know, after ten years, yeah. then you start healing. Do you think it could have or should have happened sooner? No. Though? Yeah. No. It had to <clears throat> unfold. Yeah. And it's. It's what I figured out. It's not a get over. It's not a get past. It's a live with. I am every day mm. learning to live with the fact that my daughter is gone. Yeah. That is a reality that won't change. It's it's like if somebody cut off my leg. I, every single day, I got to figure out. Now, at first, it was really hard. How am I get that first day? How am I get out of bed without this leg? How am I brush my teeth without my leg? Like everything. Now, ten years later, I've learned to get around, right. but my leg's still gone. You know, right? <laughs> like right. It's not. It's so. You still I, be tripping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, so I don't think it should have happened sooner. <laughs> I'm not laughing um, at you today. This is too serious to allow you to you, okay? I'm not doing you, that. You. you stop youing. <laughs> First of all, there are other stones out there. Stone is the kind of personality when things get really dark and serious for too long. Mm. I start, I start. Mm. So you guys do a little bing, little sunshine. I'm the same way. That's why my I'm, mom calls me number one like sunshine. To, and I don't like to make people sad. That's one thing that I I've found that like I try to. But I say all that to say I actually um, sought out an additional certification in grief counseling. Mm. I, I think that you're a psychologist. You're trained generally. That doesn't mean you can do everything. Say not, that. You, you have yes. to stop and say like, am I? Can I work with this population? Just because my child died doesn't mean I can't. Oh, but God, I'm at so a place true. now, ten years later, where I've healed better. I, I'm open to it, to taking on clients who've lost children mm -hmm. at whatever stage and kind of whether it's through traditional methods of psychology and counseling or adding the creative piece. Like um, I'm, I'm at a place where I think I can do that now. So. I, I lost music for various reasons for a long time. It was a huge part of my life for my whole life. I mean, it got me through school, got me to and through college. And then there was just a, a, a point in my life where what I was doing just didn't allow for music creation. I wasn't able mm -hmm. to play. I have carpal tunnel in both hands, so playing a violin is very difficult now, and that was my instrument. So I, I, I had some heartbreak with that. But I, I recognize now that the personal stuff that I dealt with, when I am able to pull my instruments out or I am able to sit in front of a keyboard or a piano and actually just mess around for a little bit with nothing attached to it, mm -hmm. I, to this day, still can't explain what that is I'm feeling. But everything that is happening and going on tends to go away for whatever that small amount of time is. Yeah. I give that long-winded setup to ask this. How do you help people realize that it's not something that you're working towards getting over? Mm. But being because the, the things that I've dealt with aren't going away. The things that you've dealt with aren't yeah. going like you said. The, those the, you learn to to cope and and to exist with them. But then you find these little things that bring joy in in certain moments that seem to make everything feel okay. Yeah. And I find that a lot of people don't know that those things exist. Yeah, it's 
it's challenging because it, it was even hard for me to accept the fact that like I could be happy in the midst of this never-ending pain. Almost feeling guilty for finding Absolutely happiness. Absolutely guilty and probably holding myself back from healing sooner or starting to heal right. because like how so people think that the sadder they are, like that that kind of represents like how much the person meant to them. But one thing, biologically, your body cannot be in a state of grief and sadness all the time. You can try, you can want to, your body will give you a break. Mm -hmm. Whether it's you laughing at something or your body will give you a break. I, I think that one of the books I want to write is how to help, how to support people who are trying to support someone who's grieving. Because people don't know what to say. Yeah. They don't know what to do. And oftentimes things can come across very insensitive or hurtful, Ooh. not by... No, that's me all day. By no intention yeah. of the person. I think there's support needed there. So when I kind of explain to people that it's not something I'm going to get past, sometimes you have to educate people and like remind them mm -hmm. that, you know, okay, I had to remind people, it's okay to talk about my daughter. It was really weird for a few years. Like, are we just gonna pretend she was never here? Or like, you know, what's happening? But what I realized is people didn't want to upset me. Right. And my one friend told me, well, I don't want to remind you that she's gone. Well, I'm never gonna forget. So talk about her mm -hmm. <laughs> with me. Let me talk about her with you. Mm -hmm. um, it's, and I also used to get really, I'm the type of person who, what's going on for me inside, very, sometimes doesn't match what is happening outside. Sure. It's not congruent. So I could be in so much pain and someone could look at me and be like, oh, you're so, high five, you're so strong. Like, if that was me, if my child died, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. Look at you, you're, you're at work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm dying inside. You have a good like, representative. A good representative and a good mask. So being, telling people how I feel. Like, hey, I miss her every day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been 10 years. I used to cry myself to sleep every night. It's not every night anymore, but it still happens. Like, I'll never stop missing her. And I may need you. Mm. I may need you even 10 years later to, to sit with me while I cry. You know, you have to tell people. Mm -hmm. You can't, especially when you're someone who has, like, a strong personality. Because people want you to be okay, especially right. if they love you. So if you look like you're okay, they're going to no, go with that. They're they, not going to probe. They expect you to be. They expect you to be okay. I've had three moments where I have broken down in front of family members, and it was just... I. I don't even. I can't explain what happened. I just couldn't hold myself together, mm -hmm. and I was looked at completely differently, and still am by them. Not mm -hmm. because they saw negatively? A, not so much negatively. There's but a just, twinge of weakness. Yeah, in there's, the there's a chink in the armor now because yeah. no one has ever seen me in right. those in those situations. Right. And then once it's seen and it becomes public, but I mean, it's it's a it's a human reaction it when is. you get mm -hmm. so used to seeing a strong person and yeah. then you see them be weak one it shakes their foundation because they may have been drawing their strength from right. seeing you be Absolutely. strong all the time right. and I, I witnessed those ripple effects and the people around me who just saw me as a, I hate to say a rock but for lack of a better term and then them becoming uncertain of things because mm -hmm. they now see that oh well you really don't have it all together and I was like yes what I've been trying to tell you yeah I'm a person yeah right. <laughs> I'm a person yeah I, well I will say this we just met um, and just as you said that you and Stone felt like y'all know each other for a long time I I feel that same thing now 
I'm willing to sit with you if you just need to whatever. The vibes are Especially good. if it's over if it's over music and you want to do tea or coffee or whatever. Uh, if you're doing open mic nights with your stuff, I want to come. Yeah, I want to do all of that. My other brand is healing by singing. I want to start. You and know, that's the, what we're getting to. What's the next thing for for where so you're going? So for me, um, I am right now on a wait list for coaching clients, but you can go to drina.com and sign up. Can you spell um, Ina for them? E A N A H. I Dr. nailed it the first time. <laughs> Dr. Ina. Yes, <laughs> you did. You pronounced it right. <laughs> I was standing in the lobby, lobby. of the studio, mm-hmm. and somebody walked by and said, How are you doing, Ina? And I was really startled, like, Who knows me? Who knows me? <laughs> and they said my name right. Mm-hmm. And it was this guy. <laughs> Because he saw me on the schedule. Did some homework. Good job, man. I, I saw her name on the schedule. <laughs> but you pronounced it right. Yeah, I'd yeah. be like Iana, Anya, Aina. But mm. So DrAina.com. Right. Um, I've got my documentary. We just finished filming. We're going into post-production. But my single, Star, which is the song dedicated to my daughter, Do- uh, daughter Deja, written by me, uh, performed by me, featuring Mumu Fresh, uh, piano melody composed by Stevie Mackey. Uh, you didn't say you got Mumu on the song. You said she inspired it because of the she class. She inspired it. She's on the song. We just shot the video. Okay. So we are, that should be coming out. I don't have an exact date yet, but probably by the end of the year. Okay. So I'm going to be rolling out lots of content about the making of the song, okay. all the behind the scenes. Like right. I'm at Stevie Mackey's house for a vocal lesson. That's a whole other story. And I'm like, I wrote a song. He composes a melody for me. I'm in a student in Mumo's class, and next thing I know, like we're in a studio. And now I'm here. This I wrote this song in January. All because I clicked. I think I'm going to write a song. Nice. Um, I'm glad we're part of that story. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, seriously. I mean that. I... I'm grateful for the experience that has been able to sit and talk. I didn't know what to expect today. I thought we were going to fix me with, you know. Did you think it was gonna an intervention? You're going to learn that our guests, I, I, the guests that bring in. have substance, I did. bro. They I, have well, substance. You, no, they always have substance, Even but I did. I felt like he was substance. setting me up is what I felt like. But this <laughs> this, this one turned into one of those things that when, when you have someone who, who's, who's been through something yeah, and, and who's sharing that story openly, and is in the profession of helping people who've been through things, but then being open about rediscovering at the same yeah. time. I think that's one of the most important things to, to share with people because even like I haven't done as much as, as some people put on on me. And when I talk about being in this transitional period of my life, people are confused. It's like, mm. well, you had you had this career and it was great and so I was like, yeah, but it was just time for something else. Yeah, man, We're time to pivot. Changing, yeah, constantly evolving. And then the hard thing is when they ask, well, what's the next thing? And I'm just like. I don't know. <laughs> that's it's it's an honest thing right now, and I mean it's not that I don't have things going on, but I've been that person that's been so hyper focused on the same thing for so long that it's confusing to people, and I, I've watched it be helpful for people to see me be weak, yeah, or hear me say I don't know what's happening right now because yeah. they've become so accustomed to it. So to to have a doctor. And that's your job is to help yeah. people discover what you know, just what they need for themselves, and to coach them into becoming that. But to be fully transparent about, I'm in a, a season of rediscovery and, and putting out myself. That is that's beautiful. And I think that's part of why one of the reasons I'm shifting out of the traditional clinical world into coaching because within traditional clinical psychology, I'm not telling you about me. That is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you are here for help. I'm not sharing right. my story. And even with coaching clients, it's still all about them. Mm-hmm. Right. But I am not it's not ethically wrong right. for me to you just have an example say, hey, like this is something I've been through because yeah. it's a different type of um, type of relationship right. Right there. Yeah. 
All right, so you gave out drina.com. Drina.com. All, all of your like socials are on Dr. there. Drina. Love it. Yeah. I'm just a simple man. I'm stonestaffing.com. <laughs> all of my socials are on there. And uh, Dr. Ina was available. Apparently, it's not a, in the top 10 baby names. So <laughs> I was able to get it. He's still walking around with 007 on some stuff, but we're working on that. Yeah, Come on. I'm a little more complex. Just Johnny Von, J U S T J O N Y V A N. However, lifeonpodcast.com, I would think, is pretty simple, right? That's pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. You can listen, you can watch, and all that kind of stuff. And more importantly, you can click the link and share it and share it with right a there. friend you can tell somebody but we appreciate you guys support and we're still going for and we will realize mm-hmm. one million subscribers in 2023 dr ina thank you so thank much you for so being much with us. such a pleasure we appreciate you guys we love you you know that mm-hmm. uh, we'll see you next week we out